What's up, homeboy? Yeah. All right, you ready to run this? You ready to run this yep. joint? All right, well, whatever you want to talk about. Let's go. Wait for it. Wait for it. Levy Media. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is an Emmy-nominated writer, producer, actor, and the genius. Bass. Bass. I like him. If I ever miss a show, I can just bring my man Bass. <laughs> you know, cover his face up and just rock the mic. And today we welcome Dan Levy to the hot seat. Here is Dan Levy. Dan Levy. Dan Levy. Hey! Welcome to LevyCast. I'm your host, Dan Levy. A podcast featuring a lot of nutbags and nutballs. But today we have a special guy because he's neither one of those. He's just hilarious. He is a stand-up comedian. You've seen him on just about everything in the world. I think he's on everything. I used to make fun of him back in the day because he and I used to do a pre, what was it, a pre-game football Bears uh, special on AM560 WIND with our buddy Mike North. Ladies and gentlemen, comedian Kevin Bozeman. What up, man? What's up, man? I love that your intro is just people introing you. Not only is it people introing me, but it's a different Dan Levy, which is the funniest part. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I've never had Jimmy Fallon or Sean Evans or James yeah. Cordell, Corden ever say my name's out loud. But they said it's- another Dan Levy, which is prime for the pickets, I think. Yeah, just take that. Ride that coattails of the Dan Levy awesomeness. Now, you're, you're new to this part, but other listeners on my podcast have understood this journey with me. That for a while there, I was the only Dan Levy in this pool of people trying to make it in the business. And then this guy who's related to his, whose dad is more famous than all of us, Eugene Levy, all of a sudden became a giant superstar. And I get so many emails and phone calls because people think that I'm him because they see my email addresses. Dan, Le- I, I own like Dan Levy Media, D Levy Media, Dan Levy on air, all that stuff. I, I just took it all. And I get so many emails of like make a wish and, you know, here's a, we would love for you to host a game show in the UK and here's the money. And I've tried to reach out to people for this guy saying, Hey, look, I have, (laughs) I keep getting bothered. You guys want this stuff and nobody gets back to me. You know, I have a somewhat of a similar story when Chadwick Bozeman died, whose name is B O S E M A N and mine is spelled B O Z E M A N. A lot of people were reaching out to me saying, sorry about the loss of your brother. And then granted, they were all white people. But still, still I was like, dude, what what is wrong with you people? Then on Wikipedia's page, apparently Chadwick Boseman has a brother named Kevin who's who's an entertainer. He's like stage plays and stuff. So they intertwine my credits with his and it's like you know chadwick boseman's brother is kevin who's a stand-up comedian and no. been seen and so they they was like he's been seen on the lion king revival not true for me <laughs> and, but he's also been on comedy central and last comic standing which is me so they just combined the well, Kevin Bozeman, who's Chadwick Bozeman's brother, well, and me. So I was gonna say, for the sake of saving uh, internet space, we'll just make it one person. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. My matrix does. It used to be because, like I said, I'm I'm in the grind myself. I, I I try to do. I'm doing a lot of different things these days. I'm doing a lot of podcasting. I'm doing voiceover. I'm doing radio. I'm actually not a lot of people know, but I'm actually writing a pilot. I'm actually dabbling in the stand-up comedy. I'm doing a lot of these little like things to try to get my name out there. And it used to be that if you Googled me, you could pretty much find me within like the first three or four lines. Now, yeah. when you Google me, you have to be so specific, almost to my street address, to get my real info in like my website, like Dan yeah. Levy, Orland Park, Illinois, 312. Like it almost has, and then there's like my website. It's hard to be. It's hard to be a second Dan Levy. <laughs> you're the you're the actual Scotty Pippen of Dan Levy's. <laughs> I'm not even the Scotty Pippen at this point. There's other because of like Clubhouse and everything else. 
I may be the Judd Bushler of Dan Levy's. Yeah, you might be the Judd Bushler, just riding the championship coattails of Dan Levy's. Hey, as long as one of those comes with a retirement pension, I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'll that's, the, that's the end game, buddy. That's the end game. Just like I said, I've always wanted to be the 13th guy in a squad shooting layups for like 500 grand a year. But what a sweet gig. Right? You don't even, gig. I mean, you, you get and to just, just travel around and just see and just be behind greatness. So you're always around greatness. It's hard to be the 13th dude on mediocrity. If the 13th dude on greatness, you take that 100 times out of 100. Oh, God, yes. 13th just to go ahead and shoot layups all day and not even wear a jersey, just wear a warm-up suit. Yeah. Throw around the towel when there's like a good play. When a bad play happens, I put my arm around them with the Gatorade in my hand. Right. But when it's Dan Levy in real life, life and I'm getting like, oh, Dan, I congratulations. I just saw you're going to be on Saturday Night Live. It's like another kick right in the uh, the nuts. Like, yeah. I want to I be on Saturday Night Live. And he was on an Eminem's commercial for the Super Bowl. If that's not a spot I should be on, I don't know what <laughs> is, bud. Right. I hear you, homeboy. My Lord. Well, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on, man. So walk me through this because stand-up comedy, I think, is something that even now, I mean, I, I when before I even met you, was something I always kind of wanted to do was do stand-up comedy. And I've had the chance to do it once. I actually, my buddy and I, we signed up for Second City stand-up classes and we got into like all those kinds of things. And I'm pretty sure guys like you never did that. You never took a class in stand-up comedy. You just started doing it. I just started. I just started doing it. Like you know, the the greatest teacher is the stage. And everybody says that all the time. But literally, you can do all the writing classes. Now it's important to write to do your due diligence before you get on stage and and write. But to actual find your voice and stand up, you got to get them reps on stage, homeboy. Well, the I guess the question is that one because it's. It's one of those things where I've learned kind of how to write it. I've done a lot of radio. I've done a lot of improvisational things in my life. But again, when I got up on the air for the first time, it was scared shitless. And I packed the place myself with people I knew. And I, yeah. even then I was still like, I don't know if this is if I'm cut out for this one. It was like, a, you, you can't see anybody because the lights are so bright. And then when, so, when a joke I doesn't land, about, you're like, you feel naked. Way. Was that? I went about it the opposite way. And it's there's really like, you know, you have to do what's comfortable comfortable to you. But when I first started doing it, I didn't tell anyone. I never wanted to get laughs that I didn't deserve or earn by, you know, having your friends there. Because it's easier to make your friends laugh because they know what you're about. They know your voice. But having two and three hundred strangers laugh that's that's validation that's kind of where i am now if i because i there is a part of me that that really 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 is hungry for it i've been writing a ton even before the pandemic i just started kind of writing like a a thing on my iphone since pretty much when i met you like four or five years ago i was just kind of i think this is funny when you start doing comedy and when comedians start doing it are you constantly writing things down? How often are you writing things down or like, oh, shoot, I should have wrote that down because I totally forgot what that yeah, joke was. Sometimes was I, I mean, I still lose stuff. I, like I think it's something that's funny. And then if I don't write it down right away, and sometimes I write something down, but I wrote it down poorly. Like I was just going through some notes. Of I was just going through some notes and then I, I was just like, what does this even mean? <laughs> Like, I was just like, I wrote that down. I have joke premises. And I was like, yep, there's one. Yep, there's one. Then I'm like, what does this even mean? What What did you mean when you wrote that down? So I didn't, I didn't write enough notes on that to make me remember it. So, Oof. yeah, you should always. But that's the beauty now. Back in the day, it used to be you always had to have a pen or a pad or one of those Sony MIDI cassette recorders and speaking of that. But now your phone has all of that. All of it. It's just a matter of taking notes or say it into your, I like to also speak into like my voice memos because I like to say it in the way that I want, want to say it when I thought of it, which, which is better than just writing it down. Cause then you don't know really in what context it is. You got to figure it out. But if you say it the way you want to say it 
into your little voice memo that that resonates better let me scale you back even further what were you like were you a you're a class clown as a gig because i've known you and you're hilarious to be around now and you're you're a fully developed comedian you're a fully developed personality and you're yeah. somebody who's not out of your shell were you what were you, were you as a kid were you more of like so a kind I, of a quiet I wasn't kid? necessarily the class clown but i was the guy that could pick and choose his moments and be really funny and galvanized I had some class clown moments, but I wasn't like, to me, the class clown is actually a person that's uh, just kind of fucking off, you know? Of course. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't come in and fuck off, but if something happened during class, I could pick and choose moments to steal laughs from the crowd without having to have to be a total nuisance you know what I'm saying? Like a class clown might be a class clown, a total nuisance for three hours during the day and might get two minutes of entertainment. I would just try to figure out what's going to be. Here's two minutes. Bam. And I'm out. Try to get a laugh. I'm in and out. <laughs> Say something funny. Do something funny. Then go back to being a normal kid as opposed to having to have everyone's attention all the time. Now, when start, when trying to become a comedian... Did you already say like, okay, before I do this, I'm going to start off with a couple of jokes or did you just go, did you have a couple of friends that went into it first or did you just go, no. I'm just going to go and I'm going to try this and see what comes out of my mouth. Me and my buddy, we used to watch Def Comedy Jam in college and I used to be like, I could do that, man. I could do that. And he was like, stop saying you could do it, do it. And so I sat there and just wrote jokes, always write like you, because you, you don't know how you're going to be in the big lights, you know, like I said, you're to your point, your, your normal voice, your inside voice is different than actual performance voice. So if you go up there, you think you got some general ideas and you wing it. And then all of a sudden that light becomes bright and you start to panic. It's good to, you just need to have some jokes and generally, you know, you just started out. They're going to be shit jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people this all the time. Comedy is everything about comedy it's set up for you to fail comedy is specifically designed for you to fail so every step along the way you are set up to fail and if you keep surviving those little hurdles then you end up winning it's so rewarding but every step along the way it's set up for you to fail everything let me ask you this question how annoying is it? Because people like you, like I said, everybody has that moment of, I could do this. I could do this. How annoying is it when people come up to you and go, I could be a stand-up comedy. I, I could do that. That's not a problem. Because as a radio and a voiceover guy, I get a lot of people that are just like, yeah, you know, I thought I might just fall back into radio or voiceover. I'm like, that's hard to do. I'm still trying you to know, fall back into voiceover. So I don't necessarily get that. I do get, you know, I've always thought about doing stand-up. And I always want to say, of course you have. <laughs> I've always thought, of course you have. But what I do, what I also get, though, for people that don't know me and I, they ask me what I do and, uh, and I tell them stand-up, it's always they kind of look at me like annoyed, like I'm not telling them that that's my job, like I'm telling them it's a hobby which is weird. Like people go, you never go, Hey man, what is it you do? Oh, you know, I collect baseball cards. Like that's how they look at it. <laughs> like it's a, like it's, a, them, like, like it's a, it's a spiel. And then it's like, Oh, you, and then it's the, you do it for a living. Like what, what do you think I'm telling you that I do? They're waiting for you to you say, Oh yeah, I, I actually I fix cars. I'm telling you, my, you ask me what I do. I'm telling you what I do. And they have a hard time accepting that, but it's good. I often, if I don't know you from, Adam, I will do whatever to not tell you what I do. When people do find out what it is that you do, do you ever have that moment of like, oh, now I have to try to be funny. Now I have no, to be funny. No, but I get that. I get that. You don't seem funny. You say something funny. Go fuck yourself, dude. You are the worst. You totally define me on my job. You don't you don't smell like hamburgers. You don't look like you make hamburgers. You don't look like a doctor. Where's your stethoscope? Like, that's the same thing. <laughs> you see a doctor, where's, where's your mask and your 
your uh, your scrubs and your fucking clocks. So let me ask you this. When you started doing the comedy and you started kind of cutting your teeth, did you yeah. kind of like, all right, I have enough for about six minutes. Did you have a routine in which you kind of have like, how long did it take you to get like, okay, I got at least these down if I were ever to be on like some sort of spot where I yeah. wanted to go up and run it? So, you know, you never, there's no such thing as too much material and you always need to have more than what you think you have because you just don't know. You don't know who's going up in front of you. They might say a joke that's similar to yours and you want to scratch that joke. So you always want to have, if you going up to do five minutes, you might want to have six or seven minutes in your cachet. But generally speaking, if you're just starting out, and with the Chicago stand-up scene, you know, you're probably only doing three minutes. If you're doing five minutes, like right off the bat, and they're giving you five minutes, then kudos to you. But it's generally generally like three minutes. You should just but you should always have more than whatever it is that you have to do. Now, a guy like you has done the grind work. You've done the three minutes, the five minutes. You've done full sets where you're hot you're headlining. You're going full yeah, half an hours and, hour and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do an hour. How? I guess the question to you is this, because I, like I said, I only did it the one time. We practiced a ton, and it was one of those things where, like I said, I've never actually done the full. I want to kind of grind it out, which I, I do have a hunger to kind of do. But again, it's it's intimidating to even yeah. go like, all right, I'm going to start kind of putting myself out there. But I want that. But the question for you is, how do you remember all the jokes? Is there like a a leeway to everything? Okay, once I hit this, I'll know how to get into that joke. Do you ever find yourself going, oh shit, I forgot that joke entirely? Well, it's it's so much easier in this sense that you're you're the writer, the producer, the director, the star of your stand-up comedy. So when you're crafting it, like you're everything. So it's just easier to remember because you're crafting it from scratch and you're writing it and you're thinking about it and you're working on it and you're developing it. So when it all starts to come together, like the last thing you're really worried about is after you've been doing it for so long is actual the remembrance because that's just that just comes with it you wrote it you wrote it down on paper you said it out loud you said it on stage you've listened back to it you've taken notes so when it all when it's time to, to actually put it out there it's it's really that part is not the problem so are you ever practicing your routine or you just have a down pat so well that you just, you know, the minute the mic goes uh, on, you know where to go. I practice new jokes only really like anything that's new. I say it. And then like generally if I'm traveling to a gig or something, I just turn my car down and just start speaking and just start talking to myself and working out. Cause generally the problem with a joke at first is like, it's too wordy. It's too much information. Your message is cloudy. So I'm just sitting there just trying to work it and thin it out and make sure that it's nice and smooth and, and it fits in my regular delivery. Fine tune it. Talking, talking to yourself is should be like a normal thing in stand-up. If you're not talking to yourself in stand-up, you got to have that little bit of crazy. And it's so easier now to talk to yourself because you walk and talk to yourself and people think you're on the phone. They don't know oh, yeah. that you're actually a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they can tell that with me right off the bat. It's weird like that. I yeah. give that I give the nutbag uh the that that feeling pretty much almost instant when you meet me in real life. I don't get that feeling around you, buddy. I give a uh, just a feeling of warmth and I want to <laughs> hug you every time. <laughs> well, from your lips to all my boss's ears. The I guess <laughs> the other thing is this for me is you have something that you think is funny. Is your instinct to automatically go, all right, I want to get on stage and practice this? Do you have a person that you bounce it off of? Because I have a couple of buddies that, hey, do you think this is funny? Is there something there? Like, a, like the yeah, there's, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with having a think tank, like a group of people to bump that, bounce, bounce that off. <clears throat> no, mine is always the stage, though. Interesting. So Mine is always, mine is, if I think it's funny, then it's, then it's going out. It's going out hot, baby. <laughs> is there a bombing story that you have that you're always like, I never want to do that uh, whatever again? You, no, listen, if you're if you're not bombing, you're doing it wrong. Really? Good lord. You gotta take listen, and I told you in stand up, it's set up to fail. 
You gotta take L's to get W's. There oh. is no there is no sixteen and O in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know because i think a lot of people think that if you're not if you're not if you're if you are bombing then you should go so that's kind yeah, of interesting man because when you're developing material you don't know you don't know if it's gonna work but the only way to go out there is to, to do it dude i've seen Chappelle bomb a few times really yeah man it's the i've seen i've watched old uh tapes of Prior, I don't know if it's still on Netflix. You can watch a prior set in 1972 where he's just in a club, and God bless him for just filming something. Of you could tell it's new material, and you could see him walking people, dude. It's, it's. <laughs> I mean, dude, if you're out there and you're trying something from new from scratch, and it's just a premise, and you're trying to develop it, there's no way. Once people get off the who you are. Eventually, you got to be funny. Once they get off of like, oh, my God, I'm watching this person. Eventually, you might get a five-minute, three-minute cushion, but eventually, you got to start. You yeah. got to start. It's got to be good. Or or then you're just in bomb territory, and there's nothing wrong with it. Interesting. There's nothing wrong with bombing. When you do bomb, do you just shrug it off? Do you sit there? Do you replay it over and over in your head? Or you go, you know what? Different crowd, different time. I think this would work. If I bomb with good material, uh, you know, it, it depends. If I bomb with good material, then I'm like, fuck that audience. <laughs> That's on them. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's never good. You just, you, you just got to shrug it off, dude. Just like Golden State just lost by, like, 40 to the, to the Mavericks. Yeah, it's a 40-point loss. It's embarrassing, but it's only one L. You got to get back on that court, Holmes. I feel like a lot of – I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been around a lot of comedians just because I've been in radio for so long, and I've been around so many people. A lot of times, a lot of comedians I'm around, they're pretty angry people, which is interesting to me, that a lot of them are, like, very yeah. – there's a lot of dysfunction in stand-up. There really is, and it's almost surprising because you're like, I've never, that person's really angry and really like does not like life, and he wants to make people laugh. I think that'd be the last thing they'd want to do. Well, you think about rappers and shit, and fucking rappers and how hardcore and street they are, and they like got these catchy tunes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Aren't you talking point. about robbing people and... I, I run it, bitches. Why? Why is this? Why you got this catchy hook? This <laughs> why am I dancing to you murdering people? What is happening? Not all of it doing it, but I'm screaming after it. I'm repeating the lyrics. Right, I'm repeating these lyrics. What's going on? Son? Kill that bitch! Kill that bitch! I love it. Yeah. Put it yeah. on repeat. For sure. So yeah, man. It's uh, you know, it's just part of the game, man. Like I said, it's just unnatural, and it's and it's set up to fail. So all of those insecurities are are right there. All the things that you're insecure about are right there. But you know, if you're not happy and like stand up, it's like you're. It's almost therapy. It's almost therapeutic. You know, those people that come from dysfunction. There's so many comics that I know that have. Uh, lost their life to suicide and it's bad and it's sad but you know when you're in the fire you 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 know man and it's such a depressing thing like if you're stand up you got to be so comfortable with being by yourself because there's sometimes I'm on the road and for five four or five days 20 hours of the day I am by myself hmm that's interesting. I, so I travel, I get to the hotel, I'm by myself, I'm in this town by myself, and then I I don't know what to do. I like have no conversations with anyone until 8 o'clock at night and it's showtime and show is over with at 10 o'clock and I'm leaving, I'm off to my own devices. So, you know. It's actually a lonelier gig than I thought. I thought you guys would all be kind of hanging out, having a couple of drinks afterwards. Yeah, so many times. Yeah, like afterwards. Okay, sure. At 10 o'clock, you have drinks afterwards, but not necessarily now. And do you want, are you going out this pandemic uh, situation? I mean, there's so many things that's, that's happening. But yeah, you can go out for drinks, but you know, what if you don't like the comics? 
You don't know who you're working with all the time. You don't know who's what and who's doing what. And uh, yeah, I want to hang out. Next thing you know, people are pulling out cocaine and crystal meth. You're like, I just wanted a beer. (laughs) (laughs) I was just here for a hard cider, my man. I didn't know. This was Crystal Meth Wednesday. I was gonna say this is uh this is I thought it was women getting free drinks on this night. I didn't know we all yeah, got a got a piece. Let's crack it. <laughs> that the other thing is that one because I've met a lot of celebrities and athletes and people that I've looked up to and I meant man that person's just not a nice person. And I can the list is longer than the people that I've actually enjoyed being around. It has to be like that with comedians too. Then with people that you think that uh, that I'm watching on TV, you go man it'd be so great to hang out with that guy. And you're probably like. These people are terrible people. No, so I really haven't had a lot of experience like that, but I know so many comics that has met their comedy comic hero only to find out that that person is a monster <laughs> and they ended up and they're so crushed that that person that they looked up to their entire life was doing stand up. You find out that they're a piece of shit. Luckily, I don't have stories like that because I don't love anybody that much where they would, where they would, uh, crush me because like I think you know I've worked with Chappelle and I think he's arguably one of the best standards ever but I think the funniest person on the planet and it's not even close is Eddie Murphy but if I met Eddie Murphy and he was the dick I'd be like ah oh, that's too bad but I wouldn't be like ah why Eddie but I hear by all accounts he's a great dude but you know I've I've said it on this podcast before, and I'll, I'll say it again. I, I I met Michael Jordan a few times, but the very first time was not a great experience. I was in a locker room. He had already retired, and the security guards knew that I was a big Jordan fan. I was just covering it for an alternative station out here called Q101. And every night there was a Bulls game, and I would always, always talk to the guys, did you ever see Jordan play? What was he like? What was he like? And on this one night, when this back when the Seattle Supersonics were a team in Seattle, they were playing, and the security guard comes up to me and says, hey, look at this level, this row in the second quarter. The boss is going to be here. And sure enough, second quarter, MJ shows up. <laughs> the end of the game, I see him walking out. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Michael Jordan. That's Michael Jordan. And, you know, he disappeared at the end of the game. I just figured he had left. I was wearing a Jordan hat that night. I had Jordan shoes on. I think I even had yeah. a Jordan shirt on. And yeah. I'm in the locker room, and it's at the very end. It's me and like four other people, and that was like Scotty Pippen's last year. So Scotty's sitting there drinking a beer. He's got yeah. no shirt on. He's just kind of talking. And then all of a sudden, MJ comes through the doors and sits down. At this point, I'm frozen stiff. I have no idea what to do. I'm just sitting there. Like I feel like I'm watching television because I don't even feel like I'm in that room. All of a sudden, I feel like I've yeah. transported out of there, and I'm just watching TV. And he starts, and Jordan sits down next to Pippen, and he starts kind of just talking trash about everybody in there. And then Eddie Curry was in there, or one of the guys. He's like, "Okay, you used to sit in this chair." And then MJ started like, kind of, "Oh, you're you're the Judd Bushler of this one." And they all started kind of laughing. And then he looked at me, and everybody looked at me all of a sudden. And I get this big hand on my shoulder, slap me on the shoulder. It was Pippen. He goes, "Oh, you got to go, brother." And then MJ just gave me that look, and I was like, almost crying. I had like the Jordan hat on. I'm like. Okay. It was the security guard that said that? No, it was Pippin. It was Pippin. It was Pippin that grabbed me by the shoulder and said, I got to go. But I just looked at Jordan's face and he had that serious look. And I'm like, aww. <laughs> I, like, I was like, the recorder's not even on. I just was, I, I just yeah, wanted to be here. Want you to be a, it wants you to hear all that, that horrible stuff. But it, wasn't, it wasn't that terrible, but I remember just right. being like, aww. Not being kicked out of the club? Yeah, there I am like at 24 years old, feel like that six-year-old who... The, he denied my autograph and took my ice cream and threw it on the floor kind of feeling. Yeah. I yeah, felt horrible. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, listen, man, everyone everyone knows that don't like for what, it's always funny. It's like uh, when you watch like the last dance and everything and like you see how great a shape they were, but they're always like drinking beers and smoking yes. cigars before and after. You're like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. No wonder you guys are like 34 and 35 and toast and like this era now is can play so much longer because they know like there's so much more nutrition and facts about nutrition and diet and how to sustain but no wonder those guys are playing long where LeBron's like I can't wait to go home and have 
a glass of wine and unwind. And these guys are like at the table getting taped up, drinking beers. Think about this. Think about this. In the 90s, Michael Jordan was the spokesperson for everything, but it was known that every day he would drop off his kids and eat McDonald's. And for dinner, he would give his kids McDonald's. To To my knowledge, the only thing nutritious that ever went into Michael Jordan's body was Gatorade. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, yeah, he always liked to see me eat meat and potatoes to fuel that energy. But those dudes, but then sometimes just your competitive spirit and just like your will and work ethic is just like a burger and fries to the greatest athletes in the world is nothing. But it, in the end, when you end up with them sore knees and them achy joints, because you didn't get that that kale juice in you. Son. I was going to say, but then you see LeBron James who's like, I just switched to a paleo diet. I don't touch carbs. I, I yeah. throw, I throw, uh, I throw tires around. They show Zach Levine doing these jumping exercises to improve his dunking ability. Like, well, no wonder he has like a 60 inch vertical leap. Yeah, Michael Jordan didn't have a, uh, you see all of those people do look at all of these athletes across the board, right? Tom Brady is still going. LeBron still going. Chris Paul, everybody talks about LeBron, but Chris Paul went to college, but he played in the McDonald's High School All-American game. Serena Williams. You think about, remember when uh, Jimmy Connors went on that run and everybody, he came out of retirement and he was only at that run in the U.S. Open? And yes. everybody was like, this old dude, like that's the age of like Roger Federer and all of those guys right now. <laughs> what George Foreman was when he fought Tyson is as old as like Anthony Davis is right now. Right, exactly right. And it's just Agreed. like everybody's just like, dude, these dudes. But yeah. <laughs> yeah man. You're right, man. It, it is it's, funny when you think about it like that, a, just how technology has come about. It's a different animal. They have all of this. These guys, Russell Wilson and uh, LeBron, are spending a million dollars a year on their on their body. And why wouldn't it? That's a That's a sound investment. You're right. And also the training, just all these, all these different like training, you know, these the keto diets and all these different kinds of ways of going about it. You're right. These athletes today, like if Jordan had like one tenth of the knowledge that, that he could put into his body back in those days, he would, I think he would have, he could have played baseball and basketball at the same time. Probably, probably. I don't play anything past that dude when it comes to just competing. My question was this, and uh, we, we could be around this one a little bit, but Michael Jordan in that last dance, what I took away from it is that he just looked for anything to get inspired and get angry and show everybody he couldn't. How come when Sports Illustrated came out saying that he's ruining baseball, how come that did not single-handedly fuel him to go all in on baseball and become like the greatest of all time? Like everything else was like, you know, you know, LeBradford Smith, he had to make up a story where he told Jordan to have a nice game and that fueled him for 36 points in the first quarter. Well, he had some guy in Sports Illustrated said you can't play baseball and you just let it go. That's a great question, but I also think that that's, in a way, a nod to the difficulty of baseball, but also it also shows you that even though Jordan wasn't and didn't make it to the majors, as far as he got was still pretty impressive. To be a 30 year old dude and hadn't had played baseball in over a decade basically and still it's putting in the work ethic and still growing in that sport that's actually not bad because you see look at tim tebow and look what he tried to do the same thing and now he's back trying to be a tight end <laughs> that's true right he's trying to be that's a tight true. end with the jaguars it's just like yo dude like hitting a baseball is really hard to do. Like if you are been doing it your entire life, if you do it one third of the time, you are, or 30% of the time, you are an instant first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, and it's also like Jordan said in his trainer, Tim Grover said, it's a different body. I mean, you're not just, you know, switching a sport. You have to transform your body. It becomes more, when it's basketball, it's more upper body. It's more arms. It's more shoulders. It's more chest. When it's baseball, it's more hip. It's more. Terry Francona, who's a fantastic manager now, managed him when he was there. He was like, yo, that dude would have made it up to, there's no doubt in my mind that he was going to make it 
in the major leagues. And I do I do a podcast with Brett Boone, a former major league baseball player, all-star, yeah. uh, a gold glover, silver slugger. And he says, no, you he, he watched MJ and said, there's no way. There's no way that guy would have made it. He's like, that guy was just, it was just there because, uh, you know, he, he tried in the game of shot. He goes, but he oh, there's no skill. doubt that that's how he got there. Yeah. There's no doubt that that's how he got there. But I, I do believe he had started earning his keep because he moved his batting average up. Oh, no. He, this I, is I'm, all projected. I think he moved his batting average up significantly he was like but it was i mean how could you not if you batting 112 or whatever but still <laughs> go to goat because i think i in my in my heart am i all honesty i've I'm, I'm a fan of comedy i'm a fan of comedians it's something i've always enjoyed i don't think that david Chappelle could say anything that's not funny to me even if he's sitting there saying the most anti-semitic things in the world i'll still laugh at it so, so that's where i has, judge it he has put you know, since day one, he's been uncompromising with his stand-up, which is why the whatever the ridiculous term cancel culture, he can't be canceled because he he is not beholden to anyone. Do you feel I, you like know, you are? Do I think that I'm beholden to anyone? Yeah, because uh, everybody says that about him. His comedy hasn't stayed. But did your comedy ever change? Have you had a change? Have you noticed that? That is, yes. is Dave Chappelle in a in a class of his own where he doesn't have to, but I the rest of us do. I can't do what Dave Chappelle does, but I I feel good about what I what I do and what I'm able to do. So, do I feel like are there certain things? Yeah, there's certain things you can't say anymore that I used to be able to say, and I'm good with that. I am so good with like this. That's the game. It's just like. I'm trying to make people laugh and you got to figure out this puzzle and this puzzle uh, almost overnight has changed. Are you going to sit there and complain or are you going to do what you want to do for a living? There's nothing like being able to make a living on doing what you want to do. Cause my father was a butcher and I used to watch him wake up every day and sit at the edge of the bed mentally preparing for his fucking day. I ain't got to do that. So <laughs> if you, if I can't say certain trigger words anymore, talk about certain things, I'm good with that. But I also know that I am a grinder. Dave Chappelle gets to pick and choose. He doesn't need anyone's approval. Dave Chappelle could pick any venue and go and perform and sell it out. And that's what I'm saying. He's beholden to nothing. So if you're like, fuck Dave Chappelle, I don't like Dave Chappelle, what are you going to do? Not watch his TV show? He walked away from his TV show. He's never been a movie star. He's picked and choose his own project. He's never had to be like, you know, I'm going to host the Oscars. He's always been like his own dude. What is what else is in his work ethic that makes him? Is there anything that's, that is a work ethic? Like with MJ, you could see that he's grinding harder than everybody else. You could see that he's got that. I need to prove something wrong. Is there something? I mean, you've been around Chappelle. You've seen, I mean, I'm sure you've seen all these top comedians, Kevin Hart and these kind of guys. What is that those guys are doing that other people are not to get to that level? Is, is there something that they're doing or did their moment just strike or do they just, is it a God-given ability and talent that just that does that way? Yeah, it's always it's always work ethic, Holmes. Don't ever for everybody, almost everyone that's out there doing greatness, unless it's uh, you know those people that comes from leg legacies, and they, those people are doesn't necessarily count. But you know, everybody, a lot of people complain about Kevin Hart and Amy Schumer about their actual stand up and how funny they are, but their work ethic was unparalleled. Their work ethic was stronger than any other comics that's out there. Now, as far as Dave Chappelle goes, I mean, sometimes you just got dudes that's brilliant and genius, and they just know how to make things come. So I don't always laugh at Dave Chappelle, but I always listen to him because he's just so mesmerizing. How much more rivalry is there in comedy? Is it more? Is are are, are people rooted for each other? Are, even though people are friends oh, with each gosh. other, is it more like a head hunting game? Like, I still yeah. want to be the top guy in this room. Comics are the most narcissistic people on the planet, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing if you use it to channel the the right energies. Right? You mm -hmm. know, I don't like people always like you a hater. I seriously. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with being a hater as long as you use it to channel, to fuel you to be a better you. Like, there's nothing wrong with being jealous and envious of a person as long as it doesn't consume you. It has to motivate you. It's okay to look at that person and be like, I'm funnier than them. I want more than them. As long as you're just not treating that person like shit, you can use that as fuel for you to go out and be great. Like I said, we talk about like with ego. If there's no ego, we don't have Hitler, but we also don't have Jordan. It just depends on how you use it. <laughs> you don't like to hear that. that. I can talk. I can talk. I can talk to you forever about these inside things because I'm, like I said, I I really do want to get back in the world, and I respect the the land of comedy too much. I respect that guys like you have been grinding it out, and I really do want to just go to like when things start getting a little bit better, go to like just some sort of bar, like an open mic night, and just try, just try things because I I respect it too much to even like anything I get into. I try to learn about it. I try to study it before I even try to do anything of that nature. So yeah. it's, it's fun to like talk to a guy yeah, like you. And there's, and there's so much now out there with the internet and Google and YouTube. Like it's all, it's all out there. Does that also mess with you? Because as a comedian, people can YouTube you right now and watch your stuff and you go, well, I can't use those jokes anymore now. Great. No, I mean, no. I mean, that's why I'm putting content out there to have people want to make me want to come out and see my new stuff. Got it. Look got at it, this it. old stuff and then decide if you want to see me do my new stuff. Now, the now when you've become a headliner, and I learned this because I actually watched you on another podcast, Patty Vasquez, who I used to work with and you're friends with. Yeah. She mentioned on there that when you get to be a headliner, you get to request certain things that when you become a comedian, when you become the guy, they ask if you want a certain things. And your thing is cookies. Yeah, all day. Cookies. All right, so I figured this. I do a lot. I'm an I'm an eater myself. Give me the power rankings of your cookies, the Mount Rushmore, your top four cookie brands of all time. Cookie brands, just like, cookies. Uh, Which I mean, you're like going a chocolate chip oatmeal or the per- people that makes the cookies. Whatever it is, no, no, whoever the whoever makes what it is. Okay, so I just discovered this place called Crumble Cookies. They're not everywhere. I discovered it in Denver. A friend told me about it. And then there then there was one in Arizona and there's one in like Madison, Wisconsin. And they, my man, have made they're so imaginative. They make a different group of cookies every uh, like every day or every week or something like that. But they always have a chocolate chip one. But they have these crazy cookies and crazy flavors like this their biscoff cookie is fantastic they have a frozen hot chocolate cookie a german chocolate a birthday cake cookie and it tastes like a cookie and it also tastes exactly like whatever it is they're making that's gonna be number one give me a brand give me a brand give me some brands that i know give me ones that i know of because i'll give you mine Wait, so crumble cookie is something you should know. I'm 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 gonna I gotta I gotta research that. And you one. should order them. It's C R U M B L. There's no E. Crumble cookies. Go and find that. Get those cookies, and then shower me with adoration because I just changed your life. <laughs> I'm gonna see if these guys not, can be a sponsor I'm of this podcast. You, I am the guy. I am the guy. Well, I'm going to their website right eat, now. It looks amazing. Eat a sleeve of golden Oreos. And then also the guy that will crush cookie dough. Like I am cookies all day. That I love cookies. cookies. I, I'm looking at the website right now. These look but unbelievable. My favorite, cookies, my favorite cookies are ones, uh, generally speaking, especially like chocolate chip are ones that use more brown sugar than white sugar. And that's not about race. This is... <laughs> they say the brown of the sugar is the sweet of the juice. <laughs> yeah. The cookies that use brown sugar more than white sugar just creates a more chewy, gooey, chocolate chip cookie. So you're and more that's... you're more into the goo than the, than the, uh, than the uh, crisp. Yeah. I like a crispy crust outside, and then when you break the cookie, it's just like what? What's happening? What is this? I can just eat 
cookies <laughs> naked and just enjoy randomly sticking my dick in a chocolate chip. I don't know if this is, if this is a family-friendly podcast. You might have to edit I was going to say, yeah, this, uh, this, one, this put the E right on it. I'm fine with that. I'm, so, I'm just shocked that it took the cookie discussion to do that, but all right. So, yeah, I mean, but still, you know, there's so many solid places, but you, I'm always into those. I'm always into those bakeries, those little mom and pop shop bakeries and whatever it is. If you if you do a cookie, I'm in. There's there's really no, well, I'm really a, I'm no gonna, wrong answer. I'm going to put that as a, I'm going to put that as a gourmet section. If you were to give me store bought and you're going to go great. You already said Golden Oreos is up there. Golden give me Oreos, your, give me your top I, four store bought. That's number one. Okay. You know why it's number one? Because I, I, it's not rather not going to eat. It's rather it's how many sleeves I'm going to eat. Oh, the golden Oreo. Interesting. The golden Oreos. You give me golden Oreos and a nice cold glass of milk, and you let me dunk that cookie and let it sit in that milk for 20 seconds, and then pull it out and eat it. It is the bite is everything. It is that cookie becomes nice and moist and it's so good and it retains that oreo golden oreo flavor it's it's it my man so are you more so uh, here's a question that has divided most families and has been one of the leading causes to most divorces during this pandemic yeah the oreo are you in it for the cookie or for the cream so i'm i'm the guy that that knows that one doesn't work without the other so, okay. because I'm I'm smarter than most people when it comes to these things, but I guess if I had to answer, if I because I want to be fair to your podcast and not just get a generic answer, I would say that I lean to the cookie because to me, double stuff Oreo is too much. Interesting. Interesting. So I guess I lean toward the cookie, but if it's the double stuff and it's all that cream, I don't like the ratio of that. So I think that the ratio of the cookie and the cream is what makes the Oreo so great. But you got to pick one. You got to pick. You got to. You got to. You got a gun to the head. I'm going to lean because like the Oreo to me, the Oreo thins, I could destroy those as well. And that's more cookie than cream. So I would rather have more of the cookie and less of the cream than more of the cream and less of the cookie. Fascinating. what my official answer is one can't survive without the other. Got it. But got it. Got it. I'll take the cookie. If, if gun to the head, if Why I you ever put a gun to my head to get decided <laughs> cooking cream, it's just how, whatever, <laughs> how you live your life. But if I'm putting guns to heads for cookies, then I've got a lot of issues or maybe I will be a better stand-up comedian than I thought I would. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Just start just randomly. Taking people out in the crowd. I will say this: my cookie or cream. You got to pick one, and it better be the one I like, otherwise you're gone. Yeah, mine. Mine would have to definitely be the Oreo. Would be on that that Mount Rushmore. I really like the fudge stripe cookies. I like those tag along cookies from the uh, the uh, the 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 Girl Scout cookies. But actually, the Aldi makes a better version of it, and it's cheaper, and there's more cookies because the Girl Scout cookies they got smaller and more expensive, which I did not enjoy at all. You and I like, uh, you know, I still think Chip Ahoy. Chips Ahoy is classic. Chips Ahoy is, is, is quality, but I, I mean, o- Oreos and Golden Oreos can both be on the Mount Rushmore, but Golden Oreos is the end all, be all. I got to tell you, you know what else is good? The, good. Those Pepperidge Farm cookies. The Pepperidge Farm, the Milanos are life changers. And to be honest, I do enjoy a bag of the famous Avis. If I'm like at a spot, like at a, right. a vending machine, you're getting and more for the buck. Be, more it's got to be, it's got to be, um, the whole bag of famous Amos can't just be. No, no, it's got, you know, it's got to be a, it's got to be a, a Costco size at this point. Look at me. Um, yeah. Which cookies are you asking for in that rider? Are you asking for one, or are you asking for all of them? And which one? What do you mean? When when they say, "Hey, you're going to headline this stand-up comedy tour. It's pretty big. What do you want for cookies? <laughs> Are so, you saying I want so all these?" Or ha- if they have crumble, I'll tell them order me one of each. Damn. Uh, if I there's no crumble, I find that Panera chocolate chip cookies are pretty fucking solid, my man. I once uh, Panera 
give give me a box of Panera cookies, and then I need your establishment to have a microwave so I can come in and put the cookie on for 12 seconds. That's where you set <laughs> a cookie. You microwave it for 12 seconds. The story that I, the story that I have, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it on this one, is that uh, when I was working at Q101, we had Perry Farrell come in from Jane's Addiction. And yeah. he was announcing Lollapalooza in Chicago because that back then that was like when Lollapalooza traveled. It wasn't like in Chicago, like as a staple yet, but it was like they would travel and they're like, all right, Perry Farrell's coming in. And it was up to me for some reason at that time, my job was to pretty much take care of celebrities. You know, if it was a comedian like you, I, a little, little behind the scenes trick. I'd go to the comedian and say, what do you want to talk about? And it usually was just a setup for you to get out some of your jokes so people would hear you and go on. Yeah. But Perry Farrell was like, Hey man, you know, welcome to the show. You know, do you need anything? Do you need any coffee? Yada, yada, yada. I was like eight in the morning. Nothing was really open. And he's like, I, I do want something. I, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you want? He goes, do you guys have Ruggalach? And Ruggalach is like a Jewish pastry. <laughs> that, really? that was like the only place I could find that bud would be in Brooklyn in my grandmother's kitchen. I was like, you could have asked for anything in the world. We have Aubon Pond downstairs. I would have gotten it for you. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you don't think you can find something close to it? I go, brother, I have been trying since I left New York to find something. Are you even Jewish? Uh, Where is this coming from? Pastry. That is random. Like, not just that, but I was like, you might as well have asked for the six-year-old version to come out here and challenge you to a game of tetherball. I was like, Ruggalach. That is unbelievable. All right, well, Kate Bozeman, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know you're a busy guy. I've always kind of wanted to man. do this comedy one, and I was like, I might as well have it with somebody who I really enjoy. Where if people wanted to find you, they want to go to the shows, give them all the info. Oh, cool. Uh, KevinBozeman.com will have uh, all of my tour dates. I'm adding dates uh, now as we speak. I'll be back in the Chicago area. I'll be actually in Libertyville in uh, – the middle of May and then Chicago toward the end of the year, but uh, all my tour dates and Kevin Bozeman one for Instagram. And also if you're looking for Kevin Bozeman, you want to make sure you find the right one. He probably has the, uh, the hat and his shirt with his initials on it, which I think is a great way to roll. Yeah, man. You get, listen, man, I like that promote and believe in yourself. Who's going to do it. Now do you have, did you order like a whole bunch of different colors and all that? I mean, it was one of those things where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to buy, 40 of these things yeah, or do you I just rock the same one different hats i get them in my wheelhouse of clothes that i wear like i'm not buying a yellow <laughs> kb hat because it's just not in my wheelhouse but i'll get a, a few black ones a couple of red ones now that i feel comfortable wearing red again but we don't have to get into that blue brown maroon it's uh i think i'd like to get your yarmulke you one gotta, you gotta coordinate i think i'd like to get your yarmulke one just because uh, my people I would enjoy it. you you better believe I rock it. My people would enjoy you. Well, once again, thank you for joining LevyCast. My name is Dan Levy. I want to thank my guest, Kevin Bozeman. Watch him on YouTube. Watch his specials. Get out there and support the guy. Go and check out my special on YouTube in its entirety. It's uh, 45 minutes, and it's all clean. Once again, thanks for joining LevyCast. My name is Dan Levy. Please share the podcast with neighbors, friends, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the show by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys soon. Later.